being redeemed out of that, you live under the consequences of the fall. Amen. That's why God is not just redeeming man, but He's also redeeming the earth, the heavens and the earth. Are you doing all right? The Bible says all of earth groans and is waiting for the fullness of redemption. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You guys doing all right this morning? Hallelujah. Okay. So watch this. So he's a master of twisting the truth and shifting the blame for the destruction, heartache, and ruin that he inflicts upon God's creation. He's a master of shifting the blame from himself to God in order to separate us from what we were created for. That's the presence of God. He shifts the blame. He wants you mad at God, angry at God, blaming God. God, why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? Why did you let this happen? Amen. When you find out, God, I'm not going to blame God. I'm going to press into him, into his presence, and let him answer for himself. Amen? Let him bring revelation to my heart around what's going on. So listen to this. When we fall for his lies and deception, we end up with guilt in our hearts that causes us to flee and run and hide from God's presence. What did God do to Adam and Eve in the garden? He twisted the narrative just a little. He made God out to be the one who was withholding. He made God out to be the taker, not the giver. He says the reason God didn't want you to eat from the tree of, good, of, of the knowledge of good and evil is because God knows in that day you'll be like Him. God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to have the fullness of all that He has for your life, which isn't true. Amen? And so Adam and Eve fell for the twisted narrative. And they bought the lie. And it produced in them a heart of guilt and shame before God. So then what did they do? They ran and hide and hid from the presence of God. And when, and when exposed, we seek to cover ourselves with our self-made excuses of justification for our action. Hey, people have lots of excuses for where we are and the choices that we've made. But something happens when we truly encounter the presence of God and we are awakened to the truth and the reality of why we are created. The question was once asked among religious scholars, what is the chief end of man? The answer came forth in a simple response. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Amen. Having just been in the presence of God, where you just, man, this is awesome. I, I just would stay here the whole time. Amen. You were just enjoying His presence, aware of His goodness, just basking in His love being poured out upon us. That is so awesome. And that's what we're called to do. And the angels and, and the four and twenty elders in heaven declare that same truth. They cast the elders, cast their crowns down and say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, glory and honor belong to you. Amen? You know, that's what we're going to We're just going to do that in heaven forever. We're just going to give him glory. We're going to give him honor. We're going to be enraptured in the presence of God, surrounded in the love of God. And we're going to spend eternity in that reciprocating area where he's pouring his love on us and we're pouring our love out upon him. Glory to God. Amen. That's why worship is so important. We think about that. We come in. We have the opportunity in his presence just to reciprocate back. He's dropping his anointing and his presence here. You sense the presence of God. And then you open up and you begin to express and pour your love out upon him. That's why something happens when worship goes beyond this. Are they going to sing another song? 
Amen. Because it's not a song. Hopefully, it's an expression and a declaration of what's in your heart towards God. Amen. And that's what you're, and, and so that what you're doing is not horizontal, but it goes into vertical with God, and you're singing out of your heart to Him. Thank you. Let's think about it. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Come on, just a thought like that. Just a simple thought like that can elevate you out of discouragement. Amen? Well, no matter, I mean, no matter what it looks like, I'm not going to look at this. I'm going to look at this. <clears throat> and when I look up to you, I know that I'm created for your presence, and I'm created to be in your presence and for your glory. And God, when I focus on you, then when I give to you in praise and adoration, then your presence invades my life, and that dispels all discouragement. Amen. Something powerful happens. Amen. So man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him. Think about this. The whole work of God in creation is to undo the tragic effects of the rebellion that began in heaven and then was introduced into His creation. The devil started the rebellion in heaven and then he came to earth out of his anger and animosity towards God, rebelling against God. He said, I will lash back at God by influencing His creation to turn against Him. Amen. Years ago, when Pastor Sue and I were pastoring in Bieber in, in the late 80s there, we had a gentleman come to our church. His name was Elbert Willis, and he had a ministry called Fill the Gap Ministries, and he was headquartered in Lafayette, Louisiana. And he sent us this letter, and he had written some books and that, and uh, he sent us this little letter of introduction and a couple of books, and, and, and he made this statement. He said, I'm going to be in your area. And I'm thinking, do you even know where Bieber is? Bieber is 90 miles east of Reading in the middle of nowhere. Bieber is a town of 500 people. It hasn't grown since we were there. It's nowhere. And uh, you, 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 you go there on your way to somewhere. <laughs> Amen. Or unless you like rich and you like to goose hunt or something. You go up there to goose hunt and deer hunt. And different. I mean, people go there for a reason, but nobody really goes there on purpose. Just to be in your area. So he said, I'm coming to your area. And it was, it was a divine encounter that God sent. God did so many amazing things during those six years we were there. It was amazing. And, uh, but he came and he ministered on a message to the church. He preached for us for two days. And I had him come and he ministered on a message. And one of his messages was, you have a controversy with God. He says, if I'm declaring the word of God to you, don't get mad at me. I'm not preaching to you my word. If you don't like the word, you don't have a problem with the messenger. You have a problem with the one who wrote the message. So he said, you have a controversy with God, not with the preacher. You get upset with the preacher, but your problem is that you have a controversy with God. So in that area, it was just so powerful. And that's what the devil set out to do is to put you in a controversy with God. To get you to look sideways and, and work opposite of the direction of his word in your life. So think about it. God is bringing us back. Excuse me. The whole work of God in creation is to undo the tragic effects of rebellion that began in heaven and then was introduced into his creation and to bring us back into a right eternal relationship with himself. To open the way completely back into his presence with nothing and no one in between. You need to hear that. What does God want in your life? 
He wants a relationship with you with nothing and no one in between. What's the first commandment? You shall... Nobody can say it. You shall love the Lord your God with what? With all your, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Right? So, what is that? That's a relationship with nothing in between. Tozer's really direct on this. That means that any other relationship can't be between you and God. No one and no thing between your relationship with God. Nothing, nothing higher. He says, you shall have no gods before me. That means nothing higher in your life, relationship or substance, higher than me. That's the relationship that you, that, that's your eternal relationship with God that He's bringing you into. That He is the all-sufficient one. His name is El Shaddai. The all-sufficient one. That God, if I have you, I am fully sufficient. I need nothing besides you. And everything I need comes from your hand. Amen? And so, But if I get in His presence, then I, I receive a reality of who He is. The one thing the devil doesn't want for your life is you in God's presence. Because you in God's presence cancels and nullifies every lie He's ever told you. How many of you have met somebody that somebody told you about and then you met them and say, man, they're nothing like who you told me about. They're totally different. Let me tell you, that's God. I don't care what you've heard about God, but I can tell you this. If you ever get into His presence, you will find someone who's totally different than what you've heard about Him. When God shows you who He is from Himself to yourself, it revolutionizes your life. Amen. Glory to God. I'm helping myself this morning. I hope you're getting in on it. Amen. Look at the last page of your outline. The purpose of God, that there's nothing in between, that man would no longer only be aware of God's universal omnipresence. Everything about this world declares that God is. Paul said it in Romans. All of creation declares that God is. That's a universal presence of God. But he wants us that we would live and experience his manifest presence here in our lives as a foretaste of heaven. God wants you to know heaven on earth, not just heaven in heaven. Amen? So watch this. And experiencing his manifest presence would cause us to want to live as broken bread and poured out wine so that others may come into his presence. What do I mean by that? That once you've tasted and seen that He is good, you want somebody else to share. I use this analogy all the time. How many have ever eaten at a great restaurant? And after you told somebody, after that you told somebody, man, I found this restaurant. It is great. They have the best, and you fill in the blank. And so what you do, you evangelize that person to go to that restaurant and eat what you just ate. Or order something and come away to, to, to have and get in on the same experience that you just had. What if we did that for God? When we truly experience His presence, 
then that's what we want. We want others to taste and see. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? We want others to experience that. And so we'll live being poured out and broken that others might enter into His presence. Are you doing okay? Amen. I shared this when I was up at Pastor Dennis's. I I hadn't done it for a long time. And because when you begin to evangelize for God, that means you're taking people out from the grasp of the devil, the lie and the influence of the devil, out of his war against God, and you're bringing them into God's presence in their life, and they're being set free. And he doesn't want anybody set free. So he wars to keep you from doing that. Amen? But watch what happens. This is where the power of discipleship is so powerful. And this is it. One person gets saved and goes and leads one more person to the Lord. And then those two people go out and do the same thing again. So now one plus one and then two go out and get two more becomes what? And then those four follow that same pattern and they go reach four more and those four become what? Eight. Okay? And then those eight go out and reach eight more and those eight become what? Now, if you do that 20 times, 20 times, just 20 times, what do you think the number would be? It is over 2 million. The law of multiplication, because it quadruples every time after that. Eight is four times more than four. It's quadrupled, right? Sixteen becomes 32. Amen? 16, 16, 32. 32 and 32 is 64. It just begins to multiply and expand. Watch this. If you do that 20 times, it goes to 2 million. If you do it 40 times, you know what it becomes? I didn't write the whole number down. It be, 40 times, it is over 2 billion. 2 billion. So what? The church is always looking for programs and things that we could do. God's just looking for one person who would tell one other person as broken bread and poured out wine that God is good and they were created for His presence. Amen? And by the time you do it, what I wrote it down. Actually, if you do it 40 times, it's actually over 2 billion, almost 3 billion people that you reach. It'd be a good little math test for you. If you're a homeschooler or do something like that or with your kids you want to do math, just do that and find out how long. And so, but if you actually do that, how many know there's 8 billion people on the planet? 8 billion people. You could evangelize the whole world by doing it about 42, 43 times. Amen? Because by, by the time you get to 3 billion and you do it one more time, 41 times, 3 billion plus 3 billion is what? 6 billion. Amen? You guys all right this morning? 
Or let me put you like this. If every church in America could just get every churchgoer in America to win one person to the Lord in one year, the church in America would double in size. So watch this. We've moved off of the principles of God's Word. And the church would double. If we did it two years, the church would quadruple in two years. How many know that quadrupling would change the course of our culture? You wouldn't have to worry about what kind of politicians you have. You wouldn't have to worry about stupid laws and things being introduced. Are you doing okay? If we live by the truth and the principle of God's word. So Jesus said, look what Jesus said to the man at the tombs of Gadara. He's demon possessed. And he said what we say today. Jesus, I just want to go with you, be with you. I don't want to do anything. I just want to be with you, be with you, be with you. Jesus said you can't. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go home and tell everybody what great things God has done for you. Amen. How many have ever had God do something great for you? Amen. He did something. I mean, maybe you could say, let me do this. How many know you've literally had a miracle from God in your life? Amen. Okay, now look at, so, so that, you, you are living evidence. And I love the guy at the tombs of Gadara because he's a lot like me. He would look dressed up and refined today. But the last time people saw him, he was naked, wild, and crazy, and they were trying to chain him up. And I use this illustration all the time, but think about that. He would go, and, and I love this, in, in high school, when I go back and see people in my high school, they have a hard time believing that I do what I do, and I am who I am. Nah, nah, can't be, amen. No. But that's a guy at the tombs of Gadara. Think about that, that. That would be such so cool. You, you could have so much fun with that because you could walk up around people. Hey, do you remember? Have, have you heard? What, what happened to that crazy guy that used to be in the tombs? You, heard about, you remember that guy? He was wild. They'd try to chain him up and he'd break chains. They couldn't, and he's like, ah, running all around naked, freaking everybody out. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about him for a long time. I wonder whatever happened to him. No way, yes. No, yeah. How did that happen? Let me tell you. A man named Jesus of Nazareth came across the city and everything that was in me went. And Jesus said, go. And it all went out. And I'm here. Amen. If he could do that for you, what could he do for me? What would that change mean in my life? Amen? I don't know about you. I, I was going, but when I was, you remember said, when I was going to, to school, I've had a lot of miracles, but I just have, I used to have, there's a little spot right here, and you can't hardly see anything here, but I uh, had a little spot right here where I slid down the telephone pole installing cable and uh, hugged it instead of pushing away. They said, push away. I said, well, the ground sounds harder than the pole, so I think I'll hug the pole instead. And so I had third degree burns on my forearms and on my biceps. Amen. 
I went to the doctor, and that had slivers in my chest and stuff. And so I went to the doctor, and uh, they set me up to do skin grafts. And I was supposed to go in on a Wednesday morning. The Sunday before the operation, we had a guest evangelist at our church, and he prayed. And we were part of the ministering team at that time. And uh, so pastor made me sit up on the platform in there. So I'm up there. My arm's all wrapped. I have to hold them up like this. People thought I was praying, being spiritual. <laughs> but if I put them down, they throbbed. So I'm like this and uh, on pain pills and stuff. And so the evangelist gives the altar call and, and, and calls everybody forward. And I go, cool, I can get out of here. So I start heading for the thing like this. And, the, and he goes, go pray for people. I said. And so <laughs> I go down like, be blessed, be blessed, be blessed. There, I did it. Glory to God. <clears throat> and I'm walking back up on the platform, and he just reaches out and grabs my arms. He goes, Father, I thank you you healed these arms in Jesus' name. That's it. Wednesday morning, I go in, they unwrap me. I'm laying in the gurney in the, in the prep room for operation, and the doctor comes in before surgery. They're getting ready to go in and do skin grafts. And uh, it, uh, he, he, uh, he looks, he goes, wait a minute, we don't have to do that. You have new skin growing on your arms. Amen. So God did a creative miracle and grew new skin on my arm. Amen. And so then you ask me, Pastor, why are you so crazy? Why are you all in? Because I've been in the presence of God. I experienced his touch. I've experienced his miracle. And I know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will do that. And if you can ever, if I could ever get you to press into his presence, get out of your religion and literally press into his presence, it'll change your life. Let me finish this as we close. Watch this. Why was the veil rent and torn from the top to the bottom as we read in the temple? Because the broken bread and poured out wine of the body and the blood of God's Son had now made the way for man to once again enter in the manifest presence of God. The tabernacle illustrated the pattern. The outer court of the tabernacle was for redemption. That's where the blood sacrifice was offered on the brazen altar. And then you were washed in the brazen altar of pure water by the washing of the water of the word. So blood was shed. The water washed and cleansed. Then passing through the first veil into the holy place, closed it off where there was no natural light would come in. The only light in there would be the light of the golden candlestick. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. And then in there, that light would reveal the table of showbread the bread of life and purpose. Jesus said, I am the living bread of heaven. And then the altar of incense was there as well, releasing the aroma of prayer and worship to God. But it wasn't to end there, just in the holy place. It wasn't just to be in that place. There was another place to go into. Because you there, you were still outside the manifest presence of God, which was behind the next veil in the holy of holies. Outside of this veil, man has performance and religion, but no relationship with God himself in living present. But because of our Lord gave his body and his life to be the broken bread and poured out wine that was satisfied the judgment of heaven, our union with the devil in rebellion against God, the veil was torn and a new and living way was now open to all who would enter in. His manifest presence is to be the distinct signature of the church. Nothing we do should ever take precedence over his presence. His presence is the seal of approval upon our worship and our gathering in his name. Justin, could you and the team come back if you would? We must seek and desire his presence. The greatest fact about the tabernacle was that Jehovah was there, waiting within the veil. 
The same should be true with His church. Without His presence, we only have the form of religion outside the veil. But when we are in His manifest presence, we become captured by and connected with His heart for His creation. That He loves and gave His Son as a ransom to redeem to Himself. Which in turn moves us to choose to live as broken bread and poured out wine. And to be carriers of His heart to the world around us. It's easy to become satisfied with everything except the manifest presence of God. Our one heart, our one desire should be that we would know and live in the awareness of God's manifest presence in our life. Even when you take it, when God talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when Paul explained, this we said, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to all men to profit with all. That God wants to manifest to make Himself known. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I've had lots of reasons, justifications, and excuses for my life, the choices I've made. But I know today it's been the devil twisting the narrative on God. And I understand that Jesus gave His life to be broken and His blood to be shed so that I could be brought back into a living relationship with my Heavenly Father. So that I could live in God's manifest presence. Today I'm going to lose every excuse and every reason and I'm just going to say yes to God and I'm going to press into the veil. I'm going to step into that new and living way. My heads are bowed and eyes are closed. That's you. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I know that's my time today. Yes. Amen. 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 Anyone else? Amen. Hallelujah.